It will uh, not be a distraction to me if you leave that door open, and it might uh, be comfort to all if you uh, if you want to leave it open. Anybody warm in here? All right, let's crack it open. It's just go ahead. I'm I'm like. Do you want to just push that door open for us? Thanks. Yeah. That way um, we'll be able to invite the crowds in too. And I don't think that you'll have any trouble hearing my voice. So um, if you do, just raise your hand or something like that and we'll take care of you. Let's uh, begin this morning. And I want to uh, call on a couple of young men. I haven't asked them ahead of time. So if you're a young man... um, I have a couple of scripture verses that I want you to open to and, and read out loud for us all. We have begun a study in the book of Acts, and we want to take a little uh, tour for the next uh, week or so through the entire book of Acts as a survey, and then we're going to start into the details. And last week I likened it to looking at a forest first, and then delving into the forest, looking at the trees and then looking at the leaves on the trees and the bugs that are on the leaves and, and so on. Okay, so that's what we're going to be doing over the next, um, the overview at least is what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. So we want to start to, this morning with a little bit about what Jesus taught about the church. The study of the book of Acts is really about the church and the Lord's work in the church. But Jesus spoke about the church as well. So somebody can read for us. It's kind of like, like, do you guys do sword drills at HMI? All right. All right. You practice. Good. All right. So you ready? Hold up your Bible if you're going to try this. All right. Howard, you're not young. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. The first one with it, just stand up and, uh, and read it out loud for us all. Okay. Matthew 16, 18. Go ahead. Read it loud. Okay, very good. So the key phrase that I want to get at in that passage is this. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Okay, somebody else uh, who wants to take a little longer passage. Ready? Okay, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. Ready, set, go. Okay, go ahead. You got to do it. Really loud, though, please. 44 through 53.
Okay, it's a long passage. And by the way, I did not coach my kids ahead of time the verses that we were going to look at. Sure. (laughs) But I want to look at a couple of things in that passage just to key in on. First of all, that um, verse 47 Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. That is the purpose or the goal of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the gospel message is presented or is preached to every creature, everybody on the face of the earth, and that all will come to repentance. It does not mean that everyone will come to repentance, but that offer should go out so that all can come to repentance. And he says, And you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, Wait in Jerusalem for that. So we're going to look at that and what that is in just a minute. Um, but let's go on to the next passage. And Luke, you can not do this one, okay? All right, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh-uh, go ahead. Can you speak in a really, really loud voice? Okay, good. Yeah, we don't use that word low very much. We use the word yo, you know, but (laughs) but low low is kind of like not in our vocabulary anymore, you know. So (laughs) the uh, the key here, one of the things is that the Lord wanted his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But the purpose was not just to see people saved. Sometimes we think that that is our end all. That is the purpose, the sole purpose of believers. It is not. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of the race. But that's not the completion of the race. Here he, he goes on to say that, he, that we are to go out and make disciples of all nations. So the idea here is not just to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, as great as that is and wonderful as that is, but the Lord doesn't want a bunch of baby Christians you know, crying and screaming and all the rest of it. He wants us to grow to full maturity. That is his goal in our lives. And that's what he's talking about here, teaching us to observe all things, or teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By the way, this is kind of a by the way passage. I was just reading actually in Hebrews this morning. And this passage here, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, is repeated in Hebrews. And the interesting context of this is he is talking about how we as believers should be content with such things as we have. We should not be covetous. And I look at that passage and go, well, I never would have seen that in that passage. But that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, look, you can go, and even if it means that you suffer the loss of all things, Lo, I am with you always. I'll take care of you. That's what he's saying. Even to the end of the age, even to this generation, he will do that. Great promise uh, from the Lord. Okay, this will be the final one. Um, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, go. 
Go ahead. Big loud voice. Okay, great. Appreciate it very much. Well, thank you for your, uh, for your help and your cooperation. Um, in this passage here, well, in the previous passage, we had seen that he, was, he promised, he made a promise that when the promise of the fathers come, and here we see clearly what that promise is. It is the coming of the Holy Spirit of God uh, to indwell all believers. Now, he says here in Acts 1 that... They are to remain in Jerusalem. That was a command. They were to remain in Jerusalem because that's where it would take place. And it seems that they obeyed that command very well, as we're going to see in the Scripture. They obeyed it for too long, actually, to remain in Jerusalem. Now, they waited, and the Holy Spirit did come, but they forgot the last part of the passage. And it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And they stopped right there. But it says, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, ultimately, the Lord had to shake them up. He had to disperse them. And it came as a result of persecution that came upon the church. We'll look at that as we get to it later uh, this morning. So if you have your sheets, I'd like you to take them out. And we handed them out to the young people. Last week, we had a group of young people that sat right in this row here. And uh, was it? Were you there too? You're young. So we had a group of young people that sat right here in this section, and uh, they were all taking notes. It was wonderful to see it. Even the youngest of them was taking notes. In fact, they were taking notes and getting it so much that they turned the paper over and they were drawing pictures of the notes they were taking. It was great. So uh, adults, you can do that. If that's the easiest way to remember, draw pictures. Is that clearer for you? All right. The um, first thing that we want to look at is, is a general outline of the book. And the, and the two things that I want to see, and you can really sum up, and for some of you who were here last week, the first part is going to be a little um, repetitive. We're going to cover some of the things we talked about last week. But a one-minute gap in the recording happens at this point. The um, chain, if you will, of the of um, the people that are involved in preaching the gospel to the whole world. Jesus said that I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. As we do a study in the book of Acts, we are going to see that over and over again, the church was um, suffered from trials, from persecution, both from outside and from within. And every time that it was handled properly. Every time it was dealt with in the right way, the Lord blessed. And we're going to see that as we study through the book of Acts. 
So let's take a look at um, as I mentioned to you uh, last week, there are several things that we want to look at as we go through the study of the book of Acts. And as you do a, a good, careful Bible study, it's important to get the big picture first. And so we've broken up the, the passages of Scripture, or the, the, um, the book, into three major sections. First of all, the gospel was preached in Jerusalem. And if you look at, the pas- if you look at your uh, notes, I think you'll... Give me a second here. The timing of that was, be, was about a three-year period, from 30 to 33 A.D. The second phase has to do with the gospel going out to Judea and Samaria. And that took place over a 14-year period. And then the rest of the book of Acts takes place in a 13-year period, but it's not finished yet. The book of Acts ends with an, it's an unfinished manuscript in a sense. We still have... Um, work to do to the ends of the earth so the book of acts first of all um, contains the promise of the coming of the holy spirit and the we often call it the acts of the apostles and that's a good name for the book acts of the apostles but really it is the acts of the apostles filled with the holy spirit it is the holy spirit of god working through the apostles and and um, getting the gospel out to the the world. Now, the three main people groups that we see here are the Jews, primarily in Jerusalem. We have the Samaritans in Judea and Samaria. And then the gospel makes a, a, a huge shift. And God has to take uh, the Jews, the apostles, and radically shift their thinking that the, that the gospel is meant not just for the Jews, but it's meant for Gentiles as well. And it's a wonderful story of how God did that uh, in their lives and how, it's, uh, as a result, the gospel has come to us and we can believe and be saved. Now, there are characters as well. One of, one of the um, ways you can study the Bible or a, or a passage of Scripture is to do a character study. You could certainly do that in the, in the book of Acts. You could study the life of Peter as he comes from a, a cowardly um, uh, stance where he denies the Lord uh, three times and, and he kind of goes into a tailspin. The Lord uh, speaks to him after the resurrection and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And he says, well, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. He says, Peter, do you agape me? <laughs> do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Peter, do you, are you fond of me? Yeah, I'm fond of you. You know, you know. That, that was his stand at the end of the Gospels. But something radically changed in the life of Peter in the first or second chapter of Acts, and he was never the same again. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, upon him. Here's a guy that couldn't even witness to a young servant girl by the fire. He was afraid to open his mouth, and he wanted to distance himself from the Master, from the Savior, to a man who has so radically changed that he stands up before a threatening crowd, as it were, and he preaches the gospel, and thousands come to know the Savior. And he's not afraid to go to prison, and he's not afraid to die. It's wonderful, the change that took place as a result of 
a man who is controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And then um, in the middle section, we have kind of a transition that takes place. We have a lot of characters that we can study. We're not going to go into detail right now, but we begin to see certain players that are going to take uh, stage or take center stage in the book of Acts. And then finally, uh, we see the focus of the attention for most of the rest of the book of Acts, starting with, um, uh, well, when, when the gospel starts going to the ends of the earth, Paul is really the focus of the attention and the ministry that he has, and also, of course, the people that travel with him or that he's associated with. Okay, now, let's take a look at dividing this down just a little bit more. All right. The first two chapters in the book of Acts, now we're beginning to look at some of the trees. We have the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and that promise is fulfilled. Then in chapters 3 through 7, we have a period of testing, a period of trials that takes place in the church. And um, the church actually grows during this period of time. And it's interesting if you look at the pattern in, in this early section of the uh, book of Acts, you will see a pattern repeat itself again and again. On the heels of trials come blessing, followed by more trials, followed by more blessing, followed by more trials, followed by blessing. And if you look at it that way, you'll see that there's a pattern there in those chapters of uh, the book of Acts. Now, a third thing we can look at in this period of time and also throughout the book of Acts um, not only do you get a lesson in geography in the book of Acts, and you get a lesson in history in the book of Acts, but surprisingly, we actually get lessons in mathematics. And it's very important to see it. If you follow math in the book of Acts, you will find that numbers early on in the church, it says, and 5,000 were added. Thank you. 5,000 were added to the church. 3,000 were added to the church, okay? And then we see that um, as a church goes through trials, as it handles problems well, it says the Lord multiplied the church, okay? So I don't know about you, but in most instances, I'd rather see multiplication of the church rather than simple addition. But addition is fine too. And then we also find in this period of time that not only do we have trials from uh, enemies from without the church, we have trials inside the church, and we have, our, have the first martyr of the church during the same period of time, uh, Stephen's death. So during this period, because of the trials that came, the Lord had to shake up the church and had to move them out of the city of Jerusalem or out of that uh, immediate vicinity. And so we see that the church is scattered. The church is scattered. Verse, uh, that's chapters 8 and 9. As a result of the persecution, many of the believers 
just picked up their families and they left. They left the area altogether and they went to places where it would be safer, places where there wouldn't be as much persecution. And so the gospel also went out to Judea and Samaria. And this is really the second phase of God's plan of going into all the world, starting in Jerusalem. Now they go into Judea and Samaria. Uh, And this, by the way, was a fairly significant move. If you remember the stories in the Gospels, how how, uh, the Jews would sidestep Samaria. They would go around Samaria. They wouldn't go through Samaria. Anybody know why? They didn't get along. They were half-breeds. They were people that weren't like us, you know. And so they would go around them. They felt that they were beneath them to go through and, and to become defiled by going through Samaria. And so even this is a radical shift in the thinking of the early church, of the Jews in the early church, where they would actually go out and try to see Samaritans come to know the Lord. It's a radical shift. Um, in this section, we are also introduced to one of the key players in the book of Acts. At, at this point, he is called Saul. And Saul was um, there at the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And, and we begin to see a little glimpse into him just for a minute. And then we pull back and we look at some other things and we'll see pick up on Saul um, a little bit later. Now, third, uh, or not third, but uh, one, two, three, fourth. And another amazing event takes place in this time period, and that is that the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. Well, it was, it was incredible enough that these Jews would reach the Samaritans, but it's phenomenal that they actually preached the gospel and accepted the Gentiles as being uh, ones who could be saved as well. But the Lord had to do some marvelous... Um, uh, There was a marvelous event that took place. We'll look at it in a little bit more detail a little bit later. But it was clear to the early church that the gospel was not for the Jews only, but it was for the Gentiles as well. And then in chapters 12 through 21, we see the church expanding overseas. Church expands overseas. We see a number of... um, missionary journeys, and we see the fulfilling of the command of the Lord to the ends of the earth. Now, the focus of the attention, of course, during this period of time is on the Apostle Paul. Almost all of the time is devoted to him and to his ministry as he goes out uh, into the world preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And then finally, the last, uh, last section of the book of Acts deals with a church leader on trial that of course is the apostle paul and the trial that he faces and then it just abruptly ends paul is in prison this is his first imprisonment in rome and then it just stops and as i mentioned last week the the writing of this book must have been in about 62 or 63 a.d because there were significant historical events in the church that took place over the next seven or eight years that are not mentioned here, and, and Luke just wouldn't have ignored them. So the book must have been written about this time, and it's almost like the Lord has uh, an unfinished symphony, and we're part of it, and we need to finish it, finish the work that he has called us to do. Now, there are other ways of studying the book of Acts, and, and again, as you do Bible study, there are, there are 
other ways that you can study a book of the, of the Bible. And we're just going to look at a couple of those really quickly. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Um, if you were to do, and I don't have it down here, but if you were to do a study of the growth of the book of Acts, you would, you know, if you're a mathematician, you would begin to count numbers and multiply numbers. You begin to see the phenomenal growth in the early church. Now, remember, we're talking about a period of about 30 or 32 years. And in that time period, God uh, starts with a, with a group of 120 disciples and he totally transforms them. And those 120 people have such an impact in the world that the, that the enemies of the cross uh, say uh, beneath their breath, as it were, these, these Christians have turned the world upside down with their doctrine. Imagine the impact that about a group this size could have in our generation in reaching out to the lost. God can do it if we are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Another way of studying the book of Acts would be to do a character study. Just as an example, you could do a study of the life of Paul. At first, you see him persecuting the church. Then you see his conversion. And then you see something that is actually not in the book of Acts, but it's referred to in Galatians chapter 2, where the Lord took Saul, took him away, and taught him. And uh, it's referred to in uh, Galatians 2.1. Then we see P- Paul's first missionary journey. <clears throat> we see the issue of circumcision come up that could have destroyed the early church. And then we see the second missionary, third missionary journey, his imprisonment, and then his first Roman imprisonment as well. So you could just take each of those segments of his life and do a study on those, and it would make a very profitable Bible study as well. So all I'm trying to do is is help you to see that as you study the Scripture, you can do it as a survey. You can do it verse by verse. You can do it as a character study. You can do it as an event study. There's lots of ways to look at a particular passage of Scripture. And the more you dig into the Scripture, the more you'll get out of it as you, as you um, move forward. Okay, let's now take a look at maybe some of the specific groves in the, or specific trees in the passage here. Okay? All right, chapter 1. We have... Um, can you read my own writing? All right. Christ, <laughs> Christ's promise and His ascension, and then, of course, the immediate effect that had on His disciples. As I mentioned, if you were to go out... In, if you were a businessman, <clears throat> and you were to go out and try to find the most likely people to to promote your goods and to make the world become aware of it, you would not have chosen this group of 120 people. It would not have been, the, it would not have been your choice. You'd have said, well, <laughs> there, are, there are a bunch of people stuck in an upper room or they're, they're in, in an area, they're, they're cowering, they're fearful, they're not the kind of people that, that would really make an impact on the world for our product. And it's true. In and of themselves, they couldn't. 
but filled with the Holy Spirit of God, controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Totally different. And they weren't peddling a product. They were preaching the gospel. And it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. People who preach the gospel, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it has a palpable impact in the lives of people who hear it. It's wonderful that the Lord has promised that His word will not return to Him void, but it will accomplish what He has set it out to, the purpose for which He sent it out. And so we see the gospel going forward um, as a result of the Spirit of God indwelling these believers. All right, chapter 2, we have the promise fulfilled. Actually, in chapter 1, it was more the ascension of the Lord. And then chapter 2, we have the uh, fulfillment of the promise. This radical event, the Holy Spirit coming to permanently indwell the believers, change them from a band of nobodies into a group of zealots who turn the world upside down with their teaching. What Jesus had promised, He fulfilled. He promised to send a comforter who would indwell them. We've mentioned this before that had the Lord stayed on earth, how many of us would have ever seen him? I mentioned this uh, several weeks ago that how many of you have actually shaken hands with the president? How many have actually physically seen him? How many of us would have seen the Lord had he been on earth still to this day? And yet through the coming of the Holy Spirit of God, God the Spirit dwells within every single believer and uses them for his own purposes and for his glory. Chapter 3 is a is a fascinating chapter. It's about a lame man who is healed. And I'm only ta- I'm not giving you all the details of the chapter, but I just want to whet your appetite for what's to come. Chapter 3 is about a lame man who is healed. You remember the story Peter and John went to the temple to pray. And a lame man, apparently he was a paraplegic. He he was sitting by the temple. That's what he did. He was about 40 plus years of age, we read in the scripture. And as people would come to the temple, he would beg them for money. It was the only way he could survive, so that he could buy food and he could live. And so Peter and John come to the temple, and this man is, you know, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. Can you give me a quarter or whatever it was, a denarius, you know, at the time? And uh, it, it's an interesting statement in this passage. It says, Peter says this, silver and gold have I none. There you are. I have nothing to give you. But such as I have, give I you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Wow. What would you rather have? Legs to walk or a quarter in your pocket? (laughs) And to show that this was no faith healing trick, this guy had been like this for over 40 years, the Scripture says, And immediately it says he stood up and he went walking and leaping and praising God. So he had full use of all of his limbs from that time forward. And it was it was not just a partial healing. It was full and substantial. Imagine atrophied limbs that come to life in such a way that you can leap. (laughs) Wow. 
Krista's mom just went into the hospital this past week for a knee replacement. And after the doctor's finished, I will guarantee you, she was not walking and leaping. She was barely able to get out of bed. And they were applauding the fact that she took four steps. And uh, I thought, you know, that's, that's modern medicine. But that's not what Peter did. Peter, through the Holy Spirit of God, spoke to this man. And this man, by faith, believed the promise that he was given. And he rose up and he walked and he leaped and he praised God. Well, that would shock anybody. And if you had seen this man for 40 years out, out there or you know some length of decades out there begging for money and all of a sudden he's walking and leaping, it would be a little shocking, don't you think? Well, it shocked the religious leaders, I'll tell you that. And Peter <clears throat> used this opportunity. It's wonderful. Uh, I remember in the intern program that Gene used to have a class on transitions into the gospel. And so we would have this class and, and he would say, okay, Say anything you want to. Just say anything ridiculous or, or outrageous or just a comment. And I'll transition into the gospel from that comment. So we would test him. I mean, it was great fun. You know, we'd say, you know, um, a gorilla ate an apple, you know. And, he'd, and he would take that. I can't do it. But he would take that phrase and he would say something and he would transition right into the gospel. And you go, wow, how did he do that? You know, and he was, he was a master at it. And it's good for us, too, if we can learn to do that. As we can think of conversations that we have with people on a day-to-day basis, sometimes the Lord just takes it and just dumps an opportunity in our lap. But most of the time, it's not like that. Most of the time, you have to take a conversation that is very fluid, and you are communicating with somebody. But if you're really spiritually minded, you'll think, okay, how can I take this conversation and redirect it to spiritual things. And here we have this man who is healed of uh, his lameness, and Peter takes this event, and he preaches repentance to the crowd. I went, wow, that was clever. That was really good. But here is a man, again, filled with the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God, who can seize upon an opportunity like this and make the gospel known to the crowd that is there. The event here is actually, you think this is a wonderful event, and that all of Jerusalem would gather around and say, wow, this is great, praise the Lord with this man. But instead, just like it was in Jesus' day, whenever he would do things like this, the people rose up against him. And this is the beginning, this marks the beginning of the growth of the church, but it also introduces us to the trials and testings that accompanied that growth. So, chapter 4. is the first arrest. Our policemen here have the job of arresting the bad guys. But the Jews and the religious leaders thought it was their job to arrest the good guys. And that's what they did. They arrested um, Peter and James. You know, it's one thing to be arrested for doing wrong. I think that's appropriate, don't you? But something else to be arrested for doing the right thing. But do you know that when they were arrested, they counted it an honor? They counted it an honor to be arrested for the gospel's sake, for the sake of Christ. Jesus said, how happy are those who suffer for the Son of Man's sake. When was the last time you or I 
got in trouble with the law for doing the right thing, for, for, for following the Word of God. Well, also in this passage, we see a little Acts mathematics. How many people believed as a result of Peter's first sermon? Anybody know? Sorry? 3,000? No. 5,000? No. That's the number that's given, by the way, 5,000. So you're, you're close. But do you know what it says about the 5,000? 5,000 men. Okay? It doesn't say anything about the women and children. Now, when women and children get saved here, we count them. <laughs> but for whatever the reason, they weren't counted in this number. And it says 5,000 men were saved. That's amazing. That's a marvelous uh, first sermon. Would make any, pre- any preacher happy. So the religious leaders really had nothing to go on, so they severely threatened Peter and John and then released them. And it says of Peter and John, by the way, as a believer, and remember, this is just the beginning of the church. It's in its infancy. And you're one of the first ones to be arrested and put in prison for preaching the gospel. What would you do if you were released? Run. Okay, that's an honest answer. Go home. You know, pack my bags and go home. If I'm not going to play marbles the way I want to, I'm going to take them all home. Yeah. That's not what they did. It says they went back to their own. It doesn't mean they went back to their own family, but to the family of God. And they went back for encouragement and to uh, build up the other believers. Then it says that really a vast number of new, these new believers, these 5,000 men plus the women and children, were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there is a remarkable um, account here in this passage as well that is so revolutionary and so often we look at it, we read it and we go, yeah, okay, that's what they did. And we just read on. But it's absolutely remarkable what happened here. It says in this passage that the early church pooled their resources together and they did not count the things that they owned as their own. And so if they went out to work, they considered it to be part of the community um, pot, really. The community pot. It's so revolution, and it is so contrary to our natural tendencies to do this. And they took their possessions, even their houses and their land, and they sold them, and they shared the proceeds with all. It's an amazing account. And I believe, if you're to look at the account in the book of Acts, that had they not done this, the gospel would not have gone out the way it did. And I, don't, I do not believe that the world would have been turned upside down with the doctrine had they not proceeded this way. And it's not limited just to this event. I would say it's true of almost every event that takes place here. That ha- you, We look at the book of Acts and we say, wow, isn't that great what they did? Isn't that great what they did? Isn't that great what they did? But I look at it and I also say, what if they hadn't done that? What would have happened? Now, I know that the Lord said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the Lord still would have had his way. But I often think of the book of Esther and Mordecai counseling Esther about stepping up to the plate and being counted for the sake of God, really, and for the people. And he said something very interesting to her. He said, if you don't do this, 
deliverance will come another way. In other words, God is still going to deliver us. But perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Wow, what a statement. Think about your life. Think about what the Lord is calling you to do. Are you ready? Are you willing to follow him all the way, no matter what the cost? Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. We are introduced in the same section to a man named Barnabas. Barnabas, take note of him. He is, a, he is a marvelous character study as you go through the book of Acts. Barnabas, his name means, anybody know what his name means? Son of encouragement. And boy, does he know how to encourage. Just, keep, just tuck that away. And every time you see Barnabas, ask yourself, how is he encouraging people here? How is he encouraging the saints? How is he encouraging the church here? And boy, does he do it. He really does. What a marvelous character he is. Do you know what? Barnabas is noted here in this passage as having land, um, having possessions, and selling them all. He really saw this as a movement of God and said, you know what? Nothing that I possess is worth it in light of getting the gospel out to the world. And he sold it all. And as a result of that, the Lord used him over and over and over again, even to get Saul and bring him to a position where he could be used of God. Someone said, I wish I was like a Billy Graham and I could see thousands and thousands of people saved. And someone retorted and said, you know what? I'd rather be the man that led Billy Graham to the Lord and others like him. I think it was Dwight L. Moody who was used in a previous generation as a great evangelist. The Lord used him in seeing thousands of people saved. You know who led him to the Lord? A shoe salesman. That's exactly right. Okay, he went to buy some shoes, and the, and the man transitioned from shoes to the gospel. I don't know how you do that. You know, apart from how, how uh, blessed are the feet that bring the gospel or something, I don't know. But somehow he transitioned into the gospel, and Dwight L. Moody got saved. And Dwight L. Moody led many, many thousands to the Savior. I'd rather be the one that leads them to the Lord. And, and Barnabas is kind of like that. He's at, at a certain point, he's prominent, but then he pushes others forward. He pushes others forward. And he is greatly blessed through the ministry of others that he had an impact in. It's a marvelous way of looking at life. Not to be the one that has to always be in the front, but to push others forward to... Uh, prominence as well and to be used of God. He's a key player in the book of Acts. All right, chapter 5. We have, I would call these Barnabas wannabes. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, and of course the whole church knew what Barnabas had done and others had done. And they wanted to mimic it, but not all the way. They wanted to act like him and, and receive the applaud and the, the praise of the assembly for what they had done, but they really hadn't done what they said. And so the first trial of the church really came from without when uh, Peter and John were arrested and put in prison. That was outside persecution. But here, for the first time, we see, see a trial that takes place in the church itself. Let's take a look at what happens. The trial came as a result of what? Huh? 
lying. Okay, well, that was their sin. It had to do with money. Okay? They, yeah. They sold their property, and they said that they got so much for it. And they gave a portion of it, but they kept back a portion for themselves. Now, was that wrong to keep back a portion for themselves? No, it was not. In fact, Peter made it very clear that, look, you own the property. It's yours. You can do with it as you please. You can sell it and you can pocket the whole amount. It's yours. But if you say that you're giving to the Lord the entire proceeds and you pocket some for yourself and you tell people, you know what? I sold that for 100000 but you really sold it for a quarter million and you pocketed the 150000 while boasting that you gave it all, it's a lie. And that's what happened here. The Bible says that you cannot serve God and mammon, money. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot serve both. For you're going to love one and hate the other. You'll cling to one and despise the other. In First Timothy, it says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. As a result of loving money, wealth, things, some have created all kinds of sorrow for their family and their own life. In First Timothy 6, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This chapter is probably most remembered for the way the Lord removed sin out from the church. And He spoke loudly and He spoke clearly to the church that sin cannot and will not be tolerated in, its, uh, in the church. And this happened in its infancy. So because Ananias and Sapphira lied about giving the proceeds from a, sale, from a property sale to the church, they were right there, struck down dead. First of all, Ananias. And when his wife came in, Peter asked, did you sell it for such and such? Well, yeah, yeah, that's what we sold it for. And right there, she was struck down dead as well. And the Lord spoke clearly about sin in the church. You see, it is, it is the Lord's stated plan to have a pure church, a holy church. And this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. That he, Jesus, might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, the other thing that we read in this passage, and it's a wonderful testimony of the person of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it is not an influence, it is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And it is very clear from this passage where, where it says that you have not lied to man, but to God. You have not lied to man, uh, but you've lied uh, to the Holy, uh, against the Holy Spirit. And so he relates the Holy Spirit as being God. This event caused many to fear becoming believers. Well, I guess so. I guess so. That's actually a healthy thing. It's a profitable thing if people fear um, what is uh, taking place. But then the math is also in this chapter. It says as a result of how they handled this event or what took place, it says the Lord added to their number, added to the church. The disciples were arrested and thrown in prison again, and God miraculously delivered them. Now, the persecution at this point actually intensifies. Not only did they see persecution or trial in the church, 
They saw the blessing that came as a result, and now they see the persecution intensifying. And um, they were the religious rulers were actually plotting to kill uh, the apostles. They were reviled. They were persecuted. Persecuted. They suffered shame for his name. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We have a very interesting um, statement that takes place here in this passage in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. They really were living that passage, that, uh, that, that uh, verse that Jesus spoke. It says in Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Isn't that what Jesus said? How happy are you when men revile? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. It says they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Brothers and sisters, we, we have been called to preach Jesus as the Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, buried, resurrected. The gospel message. We may suffer persecution. Count it a joy. Count it a blessing if you are counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, as we come before you again this morning, we thank you for your word and thank you for the instruction from it. We just praise you, Lord, how you teach us about your what is on your heart, what is on um, every beat of your heart, Lord. As we think of how you long to see the world and the people of the world come to know you as Lord and Savior. We think of the cost. We think of the um, price that you paid to make it possible. We thank you, Father, for sending the Son to the cross to pay for our sins in full. We thank you that he did not leave us as orphans, but has given us the Holy Spirit that we might be filled and emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to every creature. And we pray, Lord, that we would not fail in our responsibility uh, in this regard. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.